Hello, I'm Howard and welcome to The Friday Show. The show that wonders if the Old Trafford walkout on Monday night will still happen if the players just splash another £120 million on new signings over the weekend. The owners truly are to the world of football what Ryan Giggs is to the world of poetry. <laughs> on this episode, we're looking back at the week that was and looking forward to previewing a tricky match at St James's Park on Super Sunday. We're also catching up with a Newcastle fan for their perspective on City, Newcastle and anything else it takes to fancy. Just, just uh, to discuss all this, delighted to be joined by the WH Ordens of the Podding World, it's Chris and Adam. Uh, good morning, Chris. How are you doing? I'm fine, thank you, sir. I'm more of a Dylan Thomas, if you don't mind, but uh, but yeah, I'll, t- I'll take that reference anyway, though. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I mean, I, I watched Four Weddings and a Funeral, so I picked WH Ordens. Okay, yeah, there you go. That's my knowledge of poetry, uh, <laughs> my entire knowledge of poetry, so... Been a while, so you've been busy. Been very busy. Yeah, I've been working a lot, and uh, and uh, for, for for listeners who are interested, I finished installing my kitchen, <laughs> and uh, which was deeply satisfying. Uh, yeah, so but I just uh, now the season started again. I wanted to get back into podding. Brilliant! It's great to have you back. Thank so, you. how long did that kitchen take then? Was it two months. Uh, well, I think it's because I work. Because I work away, because I work in Manchester, but my but my family and our house is in Lincolnshire. I was only doing it the weekends, so I actually took about four weekends in total. Yeah, but it was bad. pretty solid, and because the season hadn't started, so I wasn't back refereeing. I was able to do it. So yeah, yeah. now it's done and dusted and ready to go. Filling the pre-season void as well. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, also, delight to have Adam on uh, for his second show. Uh, Adam, how you doing? Yeah, not too bad. Back again and ready to get started. Um, no kitchen fitted for me, just sort of sitting in my room, waiting for my new job to start next week. So back again. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, you, uh, I was going to say you're back by popular demand, so yeah, your debut went very well. Uh, it's good Thank to have you, you back. Much. And yeah, I don't know if you want to talk about your new job, but I'll just say good luck for your new job next week. Exciting times ahead, fair to say. Yeah, yeah. I won't bore people. I won't bore people. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm excited about it anyway. That's all that matters. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Well, hope it goes well, which I'm sure it will. And yeah, good to have you on. Cheers. Right. It's a podcast of three parts. Uh, first part, let's look back before we look forward. Chris, I'm going to start with you. I know you were away last week, uh, so what I've seen the Bournemouth match, but you'll, you'll know it was quite a processional uh, victory for City in the the Manchester Heat, uh, which you might have to get used to, or maybe not. Thoughts on the match, basically. It was a procession. Do you think that could become very common with this evolving City team, or were they already, would you say? Um, I think it. I think it's going to vary. Uh, I, I think the game on Saturday was quite bespoke in the sense that the first half was a lot more eventful and exciting the second half was. And I think that was as much to do with the opposition as it was to do with City. Bournemouth came to play, I think, and that's why they they were so vulnerable um, and why they were so susceptible for us really ripping them to pieces. I think the majority of the sides that come to the Etihad, or even when they're playing at home, will elect to play much more defensively. Bournemouth went that way in the second half, which I think is why it became a duller game. And City knew that the game was wrapped up. So in that heat, they decided to to turn it down um, a, a few a few levels, really. So, but but I, I think what's... I'm not sure about it being a procession, but what I think what does excite me is I... I can see how the team is playing, but I think there's still certain areas of the team's 
tactical approach which will develop as yeah. Guardiola starts to get more out of Haaland, as Haaland starts to understand um, the, the the plays around him and how his movement can have such impact, even if he's not touching the ball. Um, and I think also it's 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 worth noting that I can't think of any other player since, say, Tevez, um, who's really impacted on the whole one player coming in. It's quite clear that Haaland's going to have an, an incredible ripple effect through this entire team. So that's what I'm really excited about. But I, but I think we'll, we will get the same as we've had over the few seasons. There'll be three or four matches that City will play, like Liverpool, Chelsea, where it will be quite open and it might be slightly more end-to-end. I think the rest of the time we'll be playing against a low block and trying to unpick that lock every single time. But it was certainly great to see us brush aside a team who are inferior to us in such a almost leisurely manner. Really. Yeah, so, I um, came into this expected to win, but I didn't think we will win this. I never think that. And people know me well think I don't relax until we go three goals up. And yet, this one, once it was 2-0, it just felt different. I don't know, different mm. from the past. Or maybe it has been like that way for quite a few seasons. I don't know. Uh, but it, it never felt like really we could let it go. In There was no circumstances that could happen. Even a goal for them would really have dented my confidence in that match. That's why I used the word possessional. Uh, mm. Adam Harland. Now, Chris mentioned, Chris mentioned, of course... The impact of bringing Holland in is it? First, two questions in a way. That one leading on from what Chris said, impact on the team that Chris said that's you know unprecedented. Is that because it's Holland, or is it just because we've put a striker in the team? And if we'd signed someone else, it would be uh, similar. And also, of course, a lot of attention about his eight touches. Did it concern you at all? That um, well, first and foremost, I think. The reason it's having a ripple effect throughout the rest of the team is because he almost has a gravitational pull himself because of the calibre of striker that he is and mm. the physical attributes that he's got. So I think in the Bournemouth game, and this sort of leads into the second question you had, the reason the reason that the midfielders just like ran Bournemouth ragged and completely dominated the ball is almost because Bournemouth were trying to keep Haaland at bay by sort of circling about three players round him. Obviously, you saw it with the one-two for the goal that Gundo scored. It was sort of like Haaland received the ball and then quickly four players were just on him quick as a flash and then there was just, you know, acres of space for Gundo to run through to. So, yeah, I think I agree that in a similar sense to what Tevez did, it's sort of having a ripple effect throughout the rest of the team, but in, in a different way because... I think, well, from the Bournemouth game anyway, I know we've only had a sample size of two, but some of the defenders look terrified at the prospect of facing him. And then if you double up on him, then you leave him more space for KDB. So it's just a nightmare um, to contain, really. And then in terms of the eight touches, I won't read too much into it because I think we've seen Lukaku have a few of those touches at Chelsea last season and it was memed and made fun of. But I think for us, it really benefited us, you know, just to have someone up there who... Even with eight touches, the assist that he got for Gondo was impressive. Yes, he should have scored one in the second half, but also then you can look at it and say, well, he should have also had a goal if Foden would have squared the ball to him. So what could have been on another day would have been a goal and maybe two goals and assist and nine touches. So, you know, you just got to look at things that way that when he does touch the ball, he's effective with it. And um, that's all you can ask for with with what he does off the ball and how he systematically changes us with the plays that he drags out of position, uh, the plays that he creates space for in our team. It's um, I think he can have games where he's maybe less involved than like he was at West Ham. 
and he can still be just as effective because of the caliber of player that he is. Yeah, I don't expect this to be the norm, but do you think, obviously, he's he lives for goals. If he has to be sacrificial sometimes, do you think that would frustrate him to play that role if it frees others? <sighs> I guess time will tell. Like you know, this it's 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 hard. It's hard to really know. I I I still think he'll score an awful lot of goals because I think there's nowhere else that he can play in the team. Uh, so I don't think it'll be a sacrifice in the sense of like, I don't know, something like Rooney used to do at United to vacate someone else. It'll be nothing like that. But, you know, yeah, maybe if the game's like, I, I don't, it's hard to answer yet because, I, I, you know, I don't, yeah. unfortunately, Sacrifice, I've left City. Yeah. yeah, that's it. Like, and I, you know, maybe if I stayed at City a bit longer, I'd have got to know more as a person and maybe been able to tell you whether he's the type of person who's not going to take too well to maybe having a few games where he doesn't score. But, um, you know, yeah, time will tell. Because, I mean, at the moment, he's almost going a goal for every game he plays, isn't he, for like the last 130-odd games. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how he takes to it. But I guess that comes down more to his personality than anything else. I think the uh, I think the media's obsession with his eight touches during the Bournemouth game just reflects a, a, sh- a depressingly shallow understanding of the modern game. If you watch City, particularly if they're playing against a low block, so much of the ball is passed around on the edge of the 18-yard box. And therefore, if someone is playing a traditional number nine role where they're far more central and they're occupying that place between the two centre-halves, in that situation, they're far less likely to get a touch on the ball. But it's about what Haaland did off the ball. He created so much space by pulling uh, defenders left and right and pulling them out and taking them back in again. I'm sure, as you said, I'm sure Haaland wants more touches on the ball, but I think that the the key to, to how satisfied he is within Guardiola's system is him understanding, and it may take a little bit of time for him to mature to that, although he does seem quite kind of advanced in his in his football intelligence, to, to understand of the impact he can have when he hasn't got the ball at his feet. And I actually thought that Haaland, Haaland's statistics of having only eight touches was hilarious because he was still hugely impactful during that game. And it just shows me that with or without the ball, he's going to have a massive impact on every game that, that he plays. So I think it was just a distraction. And it was also a way of the media trying to, I think, unpick a little bit and find a vulnerability of, of which one isn't there at all. Quick question, follow-up question, Chris. Uh, is there also a need for his teammates to remember that there's a striker in the team now? Thinking back to the Foden shot. Well, I mean, yeah, Foden yeah. shot from there many times in the past, but in those occasions, he didn't have a, a killer goal scorer just stood square to him waiting to tap it into the net, did he? So, I think um, it's funny. I thought Foden was really out of order when he didn't square that ball to Haaland. Because also, he could see with his peripheral vision, there were two other City players in blue shirts who had broken the offside trap. And he could see that Haaland was unmarked in the middle and the keeper was coming towards him on his near post. He had absolutely no right to attempt a shot at that point. However, in his defence, it could be, as you allude to, he spent the last two seasons, it's muscle memory, he spent the last two seasons just trying to pull, just trying to not, just trying to put it in the net when the keeper moves forward. So, so yeah, there's definitely learning for him. But in that situation, it was so explicit. He had enough time to see where, how long all he had to do was put his, insta- his make contact with the ball. But yeah, I, I think you're right. I think part of Haaland's development, the way he becomes embedded in the team, 
is also down to the way the teammates use him and, and look for him and utilise his movement in the pitch. Mm. Well, look at a couple of other players as well. Adam, Ilkay Gundogan. <sighs> Undervalued discussion came to the fore when he essentially won us the league at the end of last season. Is he now one of the city's key players? And will he always somehow not... I don't know if this has been harsh on me, just, I don't know, making stuff up in a way. He's just one of those players that goes out and does his stuff, just a constant professional, experienced senior player. Doesn't get the glory in a way. Is he one of City's key players? Or do we still undervalue just how important this, this guy is to the team and has been for the Pep Guardiola years? Yeah, well, funnily enough, I had this discussion with my mate um, yesterday, actually, talking about Gundo. And I think one of the reasons that he's maybe undervalued I'd say from, I think he's highly rated by all City fans now, but I think he's slightly undervalued by fans outside of City, maybe a sort of Premier League club perception um, of him perhaps not being world-class and just a very good player when in fact he is definitely world-class. I just think it's the glib truth is that Bernardo and KDB are probably slightly better than him. So it's just one of those where like we've got such a level of adeptness in that middle of the park that like one's got to be... I guess I guess the worst out of the three, even though he's absolutely phenomenal. But yeah, mm. Gundo for me definitely won the most important plays in Pep's system. And it's almost like throughout that middle of the team, you can almost like plug and play with him. You can I know he's played at six in the past, you know, I think when the eighteen nineteen season, I think Ferner had to miss some games towards the end. He played six very well. Then he played in a double pivot the season after with Rodri at the Bernabeu. He was effective there. Then he moved into like an eight the season after the COVID season and he was obviously making those Lampard runs and that's where he got his Mr. Whippy name tag. Um, And then last year as well, you know, yeah, stop start, didn't play every game maybe because Bernardo was just phenomenal last year. But then he comes on in that Villa game when needed most and like the season before, knows where to arrive at the right time and score the goals. And he did the same at Bournemouth. And yeah, I just think his... um, his dictation of the tempo of games is just second to none. Um, he's almost got that David Silver in him where like he knows he can read a game so much so that if he knows that pace needs to be taken out of a game and we just need to keep the ball and not really overstretch, overexert, he's there to do that. Um, you know, if we need to up the tempo a bit, then he can obviously spread a pass, make a late run into the box. He's um he's just a veteran now. You know, he's been around the block, he's done it for years, and I think that's why, you know, there was murmurings at the start of the window of maybe he'd leave or maybe he won't sign on or anything. He hasn't signed on yet, but I think I think Pep will definitely want to give him an extra year. Um, okay. I've, I always said, season. yeah, we'd be happy if he just... He's the one happy to let him... The service he's giving the club and the, the money we're going for. If he sees his contract out and leaves, obviously, I don't know what he'll be by then, 32 or 33. Uh, happy to see him go with our thanks and whatnot. But yeah. Adam, is it now time to rethink that? And would you like to see him actually stay on for another couple of years? Not well, he's going to lose his legendary pace after all, is he? So. <laughs> exactly. No, that's the thing. You don't rely on it. But how old is he now? Is he 30, 31 now? Uh, whilst think. you answer, I will Google it. So, yeah, I okay. think he's 31. Yeah. yeah. Well, assuming he's 31, you know, look, we've. How old did David Silver play till? And he wasn't reliant on pace, you know. Yeah. He's 33, so, I think. So, yeah, he's 31, yeah. but it'll be 32 in October. So. 32 in October. So, 
Yeah, give him another year. Why not? Like, at the end of the day, yeah, like I just said, we've, we had David Silver till he was like 34. Silver probably could have done another year in hindsight with the level he was still playing at at Sociedad. So, with players like that, you know, we've got the explosivity up front now with Haaland. Why not keep him in the squad? You know, and the older he gets, the less games he has to play. But when he does play, and we can save him for the right moments, um, he's, he'll always be there. I think the, the thing with Gundo, why I'm happy for him as well, is I think a lot of City fans are on his back early on in his time at the club, like mm. saying, not really sure where he's effective. And I, I think that's just because he wasn't David Silver, which is a lot to ask for. And I think when... Because we were so reliant on Silver in the old system, when Silver was taken out of it, you really noticed it. It stuck out like a sore thumb. And I think Gundo, maybe because he wasn't ahead of the pecking order um, above Silver, he wasn't really getting the consistent game time to also bed in with the rest of the team. So once that inevitably came for him, now he just he just fits like a glove. He's so, so good. Um, so yeah, I love him. I think also one of the consequences of, yeah, a jack of all trades. Uh, I'm not saying he's the master of none, but a flexible player like him, who, as you say, has played multiple positions, can actually suffer for that. Because yeah. the fan base go, we still don't know where. I mean, Gabriel Jesus himself had it a bit, I think. We never really defined where he was supposed to be in the team because he could play across the front. And he himself only seems to now be reveling as being the main man as a striker and believes in that. And I think Gundogan himself. I've been able to be a six, eight, or further forward, but never doing one of them consistently over you know season after season. He could suffer in that respect. Uh, yeah. I, yeah, there's no there's there's no coincidence how he's been nominated as captain by the rest of the squad. Yeah. In that easy choice, uh, in a way. Yeah, I, I just think I, th- I think there's so you got to remember it's whilst whilst what pays the rent. Are the are the results on the field that that's ninety minutes of often a six or seven day week for a footballer, so that so the hours they put in training, the hours they put in the dressing room and the community work and all that is just the ninety minutes is actually percentage wise a very small amount of time, and that's that's the only impact that we actually see from any any one player. In a way, um, Gundogan, I think is is up there in the top three most intelligent players, football intelligence in that club. Uh, I think alongside KDB um, and, I don't know, may, maybe Bernardo. Um, but I th- I think it's a bit like Gareth Barry was. A lot of what Gundo does when he's playing in a deeper holding role is invisible. You d- you don't really notice it because it's just he he, he, he keeps up that momentum moving forward. Where Gundogan gets the most plaudits is, is when it's most visible, when he's putting in two goals to win the title against Aston Villa, or when he goes on a fantastic run like he did in, in the 2021 season. So I think that's why he's underrated. Yes, because he, he does unfortunately carry that, that tag of utility player. And also because he has a... Um, He's had an inconsistent run of starts throughout the last two or three seasons. Um, but his impact elsewhere with the rest of the team, with the club in general, I, I would look to tie him down for another couple of years because I think over the next two to three seasons, he could continue to be impactful both on the field and off the field, a little bit like Fernandinho was. Yeah, you saw, I don't know if you've seen the City documentary, I think it was part three where he was coaching the under-16s. Yes, I saw you think that. Offering, yeah. offering him stuff like that could help him help his decision at the end of the season. Or I the think season. it's. I think for him personally, if he thinks 
he could go maybe back to Germany and get another couple of seasons with with a team who's maybe a mid-table team in the Bundesliga, possibly, then you can't deny him that if he wanted to do that. A bit like Fern has done with Brazil. Yeah. However, if he's got serious intentions of wanting to be a manager, then have then then engaging in an apprenticeship effectively at City, working with the younger players, uh, aligned with his, his his playing for the first team, could be a superb pathway for him. Um, but I just hope that he feels valued as a player, and I think the captaincy hopefully will embed that a little bit for him. What was it Raheem Sterling said to him when he scored the league-winning goal? Oh, it was yeah, because I asked that, and somebody on yeah. Twitter let me know. Yeah, so, it was about him about the universe, football universe, working in strange ways. Yeah, because I think I think Sterling has said to him on the bench, like they were both disappointed they weren't starting. But yeah. I think Sterling said something like, "Football can play, the universe can can have a funny way about things," and obviously that's what happened. I just love the fact that Sterling was able to be so calm I, in that riotous situation I, to be able to quote that. I find it very weird indeed, to be honest. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he should he should have been twirling. A shirt above his head, not doing some uh, s- uh, speech, basically like from Shakespeare <laughs> or something. So, anyway, it's the we all react differently. Yeah. I just remember that photo as well of the other, of uh, Phil Foden after that goal as well. Yeah, we all react in different ways to moments like that, don't we? So, uh, let's uh, finish by looking at a couple of players who are still here but might not have been uh, Adam Nathan Ake. I guess a couple going to fire. A, couple of questions at you again to deal with uh, how important was it that he didn't leave over the summer and he started the season well I think we'll agree on that are we at the point or can we ever be at the point he's considered as likely a, a choice to start matches any matches big small or whatever as the other three cent- centre-halves at the club um, I'd say no Uh but like that's not a criticism at the same time like i think he's very good i think he's been performing very well um i think it's fair that he kept his place off the back of the west ham game and i think it'd be fair if he played against newcastle um so there's no cause to drop him um i'm very grateful that he stayed i think the is it's massively beneficial for the rest of the team and we've already seen it with the fact that Laporte's injured at the moment Stones hasn't played a minute of pre-season so it's useful that we've got someone there who's not Luke Mbete to step in I think he's probably the strongest four choice centre-back definitely in the league I would probably argue um, so it's a real asset to have but I just think with Ake, it's going to be one of them where he probably makes a similar number of appearances to what he did last season um, when we get to the end. Because for me, I think the ball progression of Stones, the passing range of Laporte, I think when push comes to shove, it's just going to be too important. And we're going to, you know, I think we, we see this with City. Like players sort of have phases in the season where they're more favoured. Um, he has started the both previous not. seasons anyway. Yeah, exactly. He's yeah. not Terry Garcia for one of them, so yeah, yeah. so yeah, <laughs> didn't do much unfortunate. Good, but, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no, but yeah, that's that's the thing because Ake. Uh, I mean, obviously, we've in previous seasons we've had international tournaments, and so maybe for the Netherlands he wouldn't play as much ahead of like Delict and Van Dyke. So he's in a similar boat in many regards. Um, 
So yeah, he seems to start the season off, and like I was just saying, then like players sort of some of the players, obviously we've got some mainstays, but some sort of have uh, phases where they sort of play more than than they do at other parts in the season. So like last year, I remember Sterling played a lot around Christmas, and then game time started to drop off. Uh, Zinchenko was a player like that as well, where like he phases in and out. So it's just one of those things. But I think eventually, um, I, I, I don't know whether I can call it for the Newcastle game, but I think within two or three weeks, we'll see Stones back in the frame for sure. Mm. Uh, quick, Chris, uh, four-point gap over Liverpool. Mm. Uh, it's probably overthink to say that City are traditionally good at the period of the season where there's a World Cup dumped on us this season. Uh, but we've done catch-up before in seasons. How, how important to you is it as a fan at this stage of the season that we're, we're ahead of them? Uh, does it take pressure off at all? Uh, I I don't look at, I don't really look at a Premier League table until after ten fixtures. Can I just put in? Sorry, yeah, Main Road Ramble, and I think yeah, definitely Andrew Detmer was definitely reading out the league table after the first game of the season. So yeah, I almost yeah, followed him on Twitter to be honest. For that, yeah, right? it, it just <laughs> it, it it's you need to you need to get like close to a quarter, twenty five percent of the season done because then the yeah, trends in the path. The bottom, so yeah. Yeah, no, but even but, and, but that's the point. The point is, is for the last five days, it's been hugely enjoyable to laugh at that table. But yeah. I think that you know, we we as as we proved in previous seasons that we we started, you know, we can start like like in the twenty twenty one, we started badly, and then we pulled it back. I think what what I look at, so we're only two games in, but but I, what I look at. So you look at United and the you know there's a, there's an endemic problem there which we know about and which is which has been well well covered and well discussed. I look at Liverpool and instead of looking at the four point gap I look at why are they dropping points at this early early point of the season. And that's the only thing that's really interesting about the four point gap is when we started to drop points um uh, before just before Diaz came in, in in 2021, it was because there was just the team looked unmotivated and they looked disorganised. And I think Guardiola acknowledged that as much in an interview. I look at Liverpool and I'm just thinking I'm trying to identify why have they dropped points in those last two games really. So that for me is the only kind of level of interest with this four point gap is trying to identify what our main competitors weakness are and if it, and if it can be rectified. Other than that it's just about it's it's hilarious to look at the table to see United I, I don't think I don't think I've ever seen Man United at the bottom of the Premier League at any point in history, but I, I may be wrong, yeah. but I, 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 I can't recall ever seeing them at the bottom of the Premier League table. Well, City top, United bottom, 1929. Yeah. So, uh, Liverpool next and Southampton. <sighs> Interesting. Right, we need to move on anyway. <coughs> anyway, uh, Adam, Bernardo Silva, we have to squeeze in some talk. More, Oliver Kay broke some uh, more positive news this week. He's ready to stay. Uh, your thoughts on it all? Are you now confident that this is definitive news? He's staying at City. How big is this news? How important to City's season? Are you still a bit on edge? Because the Barcelona PR machine will keep whirring away, of course, even probably after the transfer window shut. PSG have been mentioned, which I've completely ignored because... You don't move to Paris to get closer to your family. Oh, I guess it is closer to your family, but not not much closer. Let's be honest. Uh, how are you how are you feeling about it all? Uh, it's been much more positive week on the Bernardo Silva front. Considering the previous week, I was absolutely convinced somehow Barcelona will find a way to sign. 
Yeah, I was, because it seems like that's been the way they've been working this window. It's almost like, oh, we're broke, we can't afford anyone, then, you know, they whip out another 50 mil out of somewhere. But, um, <laughs> that, that's, yeah, well, yeah, basically, whatever they are. But, um, yeah, I think it's a carbon copy of the previous summers. Um, so, last, last summer, he wanted to go. Similar circumstance, clubs couldn't facilitate it. I think last summer it was Atletico who were coming in. Um, or reportedly coming in and then he ended up not moving. So I'm buzzing because he's one of my favourite players. He's one of the best players in the team um, and throughout the course of the season he's one of those players who just never seems to get injured so you can always have him there. Um, and off the back of this news, I think people, I think was it Oliver Kayo also reported he's looking to buy a new property in Manchester as well. Um, I'm not sure. <laughs> you hear but... these all the time. Oh, he's fitting a new kitchen in his yeah. house and stuff like that. It's like, yeah, whatever. My mate's doing his kitchen, yeah. Well, yeah. apparently so, yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, but like, if that is true, then that's obviously a very good sign. Um, so yeah, I think, look, he's got two years left. Um, we'll come back to this next summer once he's had another season here and see if he's still happy. Personally, I think he'll still want to leave um, because I've known from... Uh, from certain people, I, I just know for a fact that he doesn't like living in Manchester fundamentally. Um, he doesn't like the weather. He doesn't know. like, yeah, I know, can you hear the culture here and everything? Um, but the three restaurants. Yeah. But, um, yeah, yeah, he doesn't, he don't like living here. Um, but in, and in terms of, I also know that like previously, I think maybe, He's he's a lot happier off the back of last season, but previously I'm talking like off the back of 1920, 2021, he wasn't very happy with the way he was being utilised in the team. So he was almost being used as a bit of a auxiliary wide man, or you know he, he was sort of just plugged in anywhere and he didn't really have a definitive role. And then last season, I think Pep really gave him that eight mould to make his own, which is where we saw him at his best in the 18-19 season, I thought. Um, and then we saw it again last year. I think he's always been most effective and best in the middle. So he was given that role again. Uh, I think you could argue that last season was his best season, full stop. Um, so off the back of that, um, he's here to stay another year. So, uh, yeah, I'll make it continue. I just think he's one of them where, like, he's never going to disrespect the club, play up, refuse to turn up to training, any of that nonsense. He's always going to give 100%. So as long as he's willing to do that, um, I'm happy for him to stay because I love him to bits. So, yeah. What, the good talk news. of a new contract, is that pushing plausibility uh, too far? So, again, I know from when I was at City that we've been trying to get this over the line since, like, October last year. Still haven't. So... Uh, if if you want my hunch, I don't think he's going to sign it this season. Yeah. I don't think he's going to sign it. I think it's wishful thinking. But mate, I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm yeah, wrong. But I think it'd be quite an upturn of events off the back would, of the yeah. summer that has, has just happened. I don't think he's going to sign it. Um, but look, he's here for another year. It massively strengthens our chances of winning the league again. Um, so yeah, I, I can't really complain. I think uh, I think the problem for Bernardo. Sorry, Harry, I think the problem for Bernardo is that the narrative doesn't work. But we've known Bernardo's had itchy feet for the past couple of seasons, and and as Adam says, you know, he's, he was unhappy in that lockdown season. Understandably, so a lot of people were, and he was unhappy the previous season. He felt he wasn't being utilised effectively. But Silva knows that he's, you know, he's, he's probably in the top ten best players in the world. He knows that if he moves from City, it's got to be to a significant player on the European um, scene, and he favours Barcelona because of his proximity to 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 Portugal. However, 
Because Barcelona are a basket case of a club at the minute. And despite them selling all these levers in order to generate cash, we know that within three or four years' time, if Barcelona do not dominate the La Liga in Europe, that's going to come and bite them on their arse. So Bernardo's potential move depends entirely on Barcelona's ability to be able to stump up the sufficient amount of cash which um, which City think is a reasonable fee for him and I don't see that happening anytime soon so what I hope happens is Silva maybe rethinks his long-term future over the next three years and makes a commitment to City otherwise we're from Christmas onwards, we're going to engage in this soap opera of a, of a debate about is Bernardo Silva staying or not. Mm. It unsettles Silva, it unsettles the fans and the team, and we're in the same position as we were in this summer. I think maybe Silva possibly needs to stop romanticising the idea of who Barcelona are now compared to who they were before and think what will impact on him the most. You can get over the weather business. When you retire, you can sit in your villa in Portugal for the rest of your life. At the moment, City offers him the best opportunity as a professional footballer, better than Barcelona at the moment. And I just, I just wish he'd sort of think a little bit straighter about it. I don't, I, I, I don't know him. I, I, I did fit his kitchen, but I, he was never there. Um, but, <laughs> but, um, new sideline you've got, yeah. It was, yeah, that's it. I've got a lot of players coming to me. I'm really busy, but, um, but. But I, I, so I've no idea what he's actually thinking, but he's surely got the intelligence to see that this narrative is going to keep kicking in on itself every time if his focus is, is exclusively Barcelona. Right. We need to move on and wrap up part one soon. But one person who's definitely, one football is definitely going to be at the club uh, for some time. Sergio Gomez has arrived, Adam. Now I put it to you. <laughs> left field ridiculous theory that if he cost £40 million there might be more enthusiasm for his arrival but the more you think about this uh, this signing it does make sense in a, the respect that Cancelo has nailed down the left back role he obviously can't play there every week to bring in a big name I think we were all happy for that to happen we wanted a left back to come in and perhaps two but it could have been problematic in itself to do that because then what do you do with Cancelo if he's fit and wants to play every week? What do you think of this side? Does it make sense for City? And is it is he still a player you won't expect to see a lot of in his first season at the squad? Uh, but do you feel the squad is a lot more complete now that he's arrived? Uh, it's definitely more complete. I think it's only fitting that we replace an astute sign-in like we did had with Zinchenko, where it was like 1.5 yeah. mil with another astute sign-in that's very shrewd and I think not a lot of clubs would have gone in for. Um, you know, no one should ever underestimate the CFG and like how in-depth and enriched their scouting department is. They will have had tabs on this guy for like the past four years, make no mistake of that. And that's that's at a minimum. Um, he's been at La Masia at Barca, then through to Anderlecht. I think he was at uh, Breda. Was he at Breda? Or am I... He might have played in Holland as well. I'm not sure. But um, regardless, the club will know a lot about him. Um, and I think what it allows for us, obviously it allows rotation with Cancelo. I can't profile him too much. I can't, I can't sit here yeah. and tell you <clears throat> how good he's going to be defensively or whatnot. I know he can put a ball into the box. But what I have made out from looking at him early on just in compilations and stuff is um he reminds me a little bit of Angelino um in the way that he gets forward 
Um, and I think what it'll allow us to do as well, systematically, the tweak that it might allow is for us to go to a, maybe a back five again and play Haaland and Alvarez up top, like we used to have with Gabby and Jesus in... Uh, Gabby and Jesus, uh, Aguero and <laughs> Jesus in uh, the Centurion season where we sort of used to go to a back five. And uh, at the time it was Walker and... Uh, well, yeah, it was Mendy at the time, but those, those wing-back positions, it gives us the option, I think, to maybe play that system again when Laporte gets fit. So uh, we'll see if that happens, but um, I'd watch that space because I think it'll happen. Um, and then, yeah, he'll just he'll play the same amount of games as Zinchenko, won't he, if we're thinking logically mm. about it. Um, obviously, we've got Wilson Esbron there too, but maybe Pep don't think he's ready. So, yeah, it's one of them where, like, I'm not going to claim to know anything about him, but I'm excited to see him get started. And um, hopefully, he likes Zinchenko. He proves his worth to the squad and stays there for for many years. So, we shall see. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing him as well. Uh, and a blue as a kid. Yeah. Uh, yeah, rival fan base will have to get used to this uh, fact that a lot of our players did actually support City as well when they were yeah. younger. I love how he brought the uh, the read receipts for that as well. Like oh, people yeah. were doubting him online, then he was like, "No, here you go. Here's, here's a catalogue of me in in the eleven twelve kit." Brilliant, it's amazing to see it. Yeah, <laughs> come to fruition. Uh, yeah. People that were following City, yeah, a decade ago, and it just makes you feel really old as well. So uh, we cannot finish part one, Chris with you on the show without mentioning referees. It's been a while mm-hmm. since you mentioned referees. Uh, Chelsea Spurs, quite an interesting 90 minutes and more last weekend. And mm. one of the fallouts from it, apart from shaking hands and protocols, is some more ref bashing, basically. Mm. Mike Dean's now come out and said he got the hair tugging Cucurello instant wrong. Though he, has, he said that in his Daily Mail column, which I find yeah. very bizarre that Someone who's yeah. on VAR duty then explains himself in a newspaper article. Are you uncomfortable about that? And more to the point, are you uncomfortable? Or do you think it was deserved uh, the latest round of ref bashing that happened after Chelsea versus Spurs? For a referee that, personally, I don't rate very highly, but that's a different issue altogether. I think, I think any kind of bashing of people on social media or in the media when, when, when the... When the the situation is not clear cut um is 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 difficult um i th- i think mike mike dean has slipped very comfortably into that celebrity ref role and the fact that he has um a column in a in a tabloid newspaper is is bad enough the fact that it's a daily mail is even worse and i think that um i i i would be very surprised if the um uh, if the referee association and the fa don't wrap his knuckles for that because effectively he's talking about uh, his profession he's talking about his his, mm. his job role business in a in a public environment which is a complete no no um i started refing again last week and the usual ref bashing co- comes out you know often it's to do with if if a player if you don't give a player a decision or a manager or a Based a decision that they'll they'll you know they'll vilify you for it. I think that the all I would ask people to do is know the laws of the game properly before they start to throw out um, um, uh, accusations, particularly accusations that Taylor has, has been subject to. Taylor Taylor is an ex, a huge experienced referee who is unfortunately occasionally prone to some serious gaffes. The, so the thing, to, just to say, just in terms of a point of law, that. 
that that in that game with Chelsea Spurs, that v- VAR can't advise on a potential um, uh, free kick offence yeah. uh, if it doesn't if it doesn't lead directly to a goal or penalty, or if it isn't for a red card. It's only if, it, it's only if the VAR thinks it's a potential red card situation that the referee has missed that um, that they can pull them back for it. Um, it's not often that you see hair pulling. But but when you do, particularly with Cucurello, who has this, has this remarkable mane of hair, it's quite hard to miss. Taylor was right in front of it, but you still can't see whether in the split second he actually saw it. For me, where the mistake was made, as Mike Dean has has admitted to, um, was that he didn't feel that that hair pull was worthy enough for him to make Taylor go and take a look at the monitor. That is what I cannot understand. It was explicit um, and and it was instrumental in terms of then gaining advantage for the following corner, which then followed by uh, Tottenham equalising. So I think that that is hugely problematic is the bar has been raised for when they pull back what might be a genuine red card offence. That for me was a huge mistake. For Mike Dean then to talk about it in a tabloid publication I think is massively problematic and only 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 kind of muddies the reputation of referees at the top level again apart from that I thought Taylor was okay I thought the other one um, I can see why he missed that tackle um, I can't think of who it was on uh, it's one of those you're in a certain angle there was touch on the ball. But it was a foul because he went through him. To, he went he through him. To, it doesn't matter if he touched. Okay. He went yeah, through no. him. The player, players and fans don't understand that. It doesn't matter if you get a ball. Yeah, I've not watched yeah. Play, if you go so. through it, it's like it's like if a player lunges in but misses the player. Still a foul because the intent was there. Yeah. So I, I've I've always advocated for a situation where referees will come out after the game and explain their decision-making so that fans can understand the law or can understand the context of the game. And then if he's made a mistake or she's made a mistake, opportunity to say, I made a mistake, it happens, let me explain the context. I think Mike Dean, if I was... (laughs) In that situation, I take Mike Dean off the VAR team for a few weeks because I think what he's done contravenes his commitment to the Referee Association. And I think it brings it into disrepute to talk about mistakes he's made in a tabloid situation. But yeah, it, it, but it just wasn't great. And unfortunately, it set the tone for the rest of the season. Yeah, I think the important thing to note here is that Mike Dean might not be on the pitch anymore, but he's still made himself centre of attention. So absolutely, win-win absolutely. for I, him. Basically, I, and it's easy it's easy to say that about people like him and John Moss, but trust me, to walk onto a pitch at any level with twenty-two people on that pitch, you think they know more than you about football, who will then give you shit for ninety minutes or one hundred and twenty minutes. You've got to have a certain level of, level of ego to be able to manage that, that that situation. But trust me, some egos need to be contained at referees at every level, and I've experienced it having worked with quite a lot of referees and, and, and assistant referees. So it, it's the same in any industry. Egos are always at stake and people make mistakes, but personalities do play a significant role. And with Mike Dean, his personality is playing a significant role at this point. Okay, right. That's the end of part one. Time for a break from the panel. As the other night, I caught up with a Newcastle fan ahead of this weekend's match. Uh, to discuss all things Newcastle, I'm delighted to be joined by Chris from the fan channel Gallagate Shots. Uh, hi, Chris. How are you? 
I'm not bad, man. How's yourself? Not bad at all. Not bad at all. Quite enjoying the season so far, uh, but very early days. Me uh, too, mate. I'm enjoying it as well. So yeah, far. <laughs> yeah. Well, before we get into the season itself, I thought I would start with obviously a lot's happened at your football club in the last year. Or so. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this the takeover. I think was it October last year that it, it yeah, finally so it, went through. It's yeah. It's 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 end of last year. Um, obviously. It had been an ongoing saga for a couple yeah. of years. Uh, finally got the Premier League approval. Um, but yeah, um, it's been a bit of a whirlwind since yeah. the takeover, mate. Uh, mainly, mainly positives, to be honest with you. Um, the fan base getting excited just over a few, few tins of paint going on St. James's Park, to be honest with you, because as, as you're probably aware, the club was left to rot under the previous mm. ownership. Uh, and that was, wasn't just the football team. It was everything around the club as well, including the stadium training facilities. And we're excited to, to where, where we might go in the future, to be honest with you. Well, even Old Trafford's had a tin of paint on it this week, apparently. So oh, I'm, never sure be happy more, yeah. I'm sure you get a lot more <laughs> done to the ground than a tin of paint <laughs> in the future. Yeah, so the reason I ask about October 21st, because we're going to come to what it's like <laughs> under the new owners, because obviously yeah. I have some experience in that respect, uh, uh, takeovers like this. But of course, because it was during the season last year, January transfer window, a bit weird. Mm-hmm. So it's the first time you've had a summer transfer window, not that it's finished yet. How do you feel going into the season uh, with a, a full transfer window uh, under your new owners? Does it feel different to this time last year? Does it feel like you've got a big season that line ahead of you? Yeah, it. any transfer window away from Mike Ashley's going to feel completely different <laughs> because we were more worried about who's going to be leaving the club rather than who's going to be coming in because we're basically we're a selling club. We had to bring uh, money in because of outgoing sales before we'd bring any sort of players in. Um, so we're never optimistic going into a transfer window. But like you mentioned there, January, um, we saw a lot of activity from Newcastle, one of the highest spenders in Europe, basically just to, to secure um Survival in the Premier League. Yeah. That that time around, of course, there was some panic buys in there with the likes of Chris Wood, which cost a lot of money, but would damage Burnley in the process by taking away their striker, which it's worked out in our favour, to be fair, because it was Burnley who got relegated and not Newcastle. Um, but with it being the summer one, I think it sounds ridiculous, and, and I'm happy with the club's activity so far in the summer, but there's a lot of fans already who are are turning a little, well, not turning on the owners, that's a bit harsh, but being a bit disappointed in relation to, to some of the players or lack of players which were brought in because we were patience. desperate. Yeah, yeah. patience, really. It's all that it is, and, and people forget where we've came from um, and, and how malnourished that the club was prior to the takeover. And now, because of the thing, our oh, Newcastle, the richest club in the world, we should just be going out and buying anybody for whatever price is thrown our way. But you just can't do it like, Probably unlike when Man City got the takeover, when Chelsea got the takeover, where you could spend that little bit extra money. You just can't do it now with financial fair play. And with us, yes, of course, there's a lot of money in the background. Of course there is. But you can't just go and spend that how you want to, unfortunately. You've got to stick by the guidelines. Um, and because we haven't got those big sponsorship deals as of yet, we can't just do that. Um, so the club, we brought in Dan Ashworth, who's probably been the biggest signing of the summer, they're taking him from Brighton um, to, to look over the likes of the, the football and activity. 
And that includes the likes of transfers coming in. Um, so apparently the club have got a model now where we put a valuation on a player and if the selling club are asking for more than our valuation of them, then we won't go to that level, which yeah. to me at this moment in time where we are as a football club, maybe we'll have to, to, to give in a little bit to bring in a couple of, of star players in, into the football club. Then obviously go by that model afterwards. Um, we need a backup in regards to attacking options, uh, striking and the right wing, which at this moment in time we don't have uh, strikers. We've got Callum Wilson and Chris Wood as our strike force. If Callum Wilson gets injured, then I'm worried with Chris Wood coming in there because he scored one or two goals, I think it was, towards the end of last season, which wasn't great. Um, but the, the players which we have brought in, to be positive about it, you've got Sven Botman, who was touted by AC Milan. Mm. Um, we got his signature. Uh, Target made his loan move into a permanent one, who had a very, very good uh, six months at the football club last season. Um, but yeah, mate, it's, I, I think, like you said there, patience is key in all of this. It really is. We need uh, to build slowly and that's the only way which we can do it at the moment. Mm. But I, I'm happy with, with the activity so far. I what, am. Was, was, uh, basically just to uh, mm. reminisce a bit, go back. Yeah. City take, take over 2008. There was no financial fair play, mm-hmm. but it was being touted at the time. It was yeah. a thing being discussed. Uh, so, Brian Marwood at City did say at the time we knew it was coming basically. So it's so busy City, spend as much as oh, we yes, now. Before the before the drawbridge came down, yeah. Basically yeah. it was and we did overspend we spent silly amount, you know, like Adebayor and or loads mm. of other players who basically they were very good signs in that they made us more attracted to the next level of signs. Yeah. But you you can't really do that because of the, the rules that are in place now. The thing is, you see that being more attractive as a football club, I think that the players which were brought in in January have yeah. probably already done that, to be honest with you. You've, and I haven't even mentioned Nick Pope, who, who we've signed as well. So England's a goalkeeper mm. there. Well, potential goalkeeper, whether or not you agree with Pickford should be in there or not. Um, but the likes of Bruno Gomares coming into the football club, He's an absolute fantastic player, and I'm sure we'll talk about him in a little bit of detail when we come into the match there. But he is a player that probably shouldn't be at Newcastle because he probably should be playing Champions League football because he walks into most teams. And I, I'm not even lying here. Yeah. That, that player is fantastic. So I think the Calabar players, so Kieran Trippier, uh, Bruno Gomares, Joel Linton's turnaround, <laughs> he has to be looking at a, a Brazilian uh, call up there. So, yeah. so there's some decent players in there, mate. And that's, like I'd say, not to mention the likes of Nick Pope as well. So I think we're on the cusp of that, to be honest with you. Um, we just need a couple of more in there. Yeah. When you become like the, one of the richest clubs in the world, all the richest, then obviously this is probably a silly question I'm going to ask because in a way, after what, yeah, after what it's followed, you're mm-hmm. probably looking eventually to upgrade every single position, but your transfer mm-hmm. business has fallen in the way that so far you've, they've been defensive signings, as you, as you said. Yeah. There's two weeks to go in the uh, window, of course. Was, for you as a fan at the end of the season, wasn't defence actually the priority for you if you had to look at one area that needed uh, improvement? Or was it just look that that's how it's fallen and there will be some attacking arrivals before uh, the end of August? Um. In relation to defensive signings, I think that was probably the strongest part of of the field for yeah. us, even at the end of last season. I was oh, quite yeah. shocked when we 
we brought Nick Pope in because Martin Dubrowka is a very good goalkeeper. So I was very surprised to see Nick Pope come in there. And he's probably taken, obviously, he's started both of the games in the Premier League there. Um, so Dubravka, for me, will probably look at a move away from the club. So I was shocked to see um, Pope arriving. I'm not complaining because he's, once again, he's a very good goalkeeper, top talent, which was so uh, at the weekend against Brighton, kept us in that game right the way through it. Um, but I think the likes of Matt Target, that one just fell into, into our lap. Um he left Villa, came to us on loan last season. So it was a no-brainer after the season he had, well, half season he had for us last year to bring him in as a permanent signing. Sven Botman, um, probably our, our centre-backs were the strongest part of the, the, the field last season. Uh, we've got a, a high-caliber player in there. You've got Fabian Scher, you've got Dan Byrne, fantastic end of last season. Um, you've got Federico Fernandez, who goes unnoticed, hasn't had much game time last year. Yeah, you had Kieran Clark, who obviously gone out on loan now, but you've got club captain Jamal Lascelles, who can't get on the field at the moment. So I think it's a case where you look at improving players, and despite them not necessarily that that instant need to, to improve that position of the, the, the field, if the opportunity comes available to sign a, a player with such potential like Sven Botman has, then you do the deal. Of course you do. You look to the future of the yeah. football club. He's still a young kid. Um, so I think he's probably been on the list for a while. We were linked with him in January as well, and it just didn't come around. Um, so I think it was just a deal that was already waiting to be done. Just had to finalise it, uh, just 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 to get that one over the line. But yeah, I think the club haven't necessarily focused on, on the wrong areas of the field because they have been focused on attacking options as well. We just haven't been able to get those deals done. And Are you confident you will get some over the line? Who have you been linked with here in the attacking sense? Everyone. <laughs> Basically, you, you've you probably been through the same thing as well because you've got a lot of money. You get a link with a lot of players. Yeah. And I think a lot of it is agents using the club oh, yes, to get better contracts for their players or just to put the name in the spotlight because Newcastle, the, the spoke about a lot in world football right now because of the ownership, whether that be good or bad headlines, which are getting thrown our way. If a player gets linked with the club, it's going to make headlines. Um, so we're linked with uh, Agatege, uh, who went to Paris Saint-Germain. Uh, he made a, 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 he's going to probably be fifth choice there, but he's a, a young kid. We were linked with him. The reason he didn't come to Newcastle, because if Paris Saint-Germain comes calling, he's, he's a French lad as well. You, you go there. It's it's no option, really. Um Linked with uh, Sesco as well, uh, who's also been linked with Man United as well. Um, but it looks like he's going to do the usual Red Bull cycle. Uh, so he'll make his way through the, the Red Bull cycle and probably end up at Bayern Munich at one point <laughs> yeah. in the next five years. <laughs> so it looks like that one's gone. Um, now it looks like we're looking at um, Chelsea. Um, we're interested in a few Chelsea players on loan because we just can't get the, the signings across the line when it comes to striking options. And let's be honest with you, how many strikers are available, especially ones yeah. that Newcastle can bring in at this moment in time? We're in this horrible period where we can't offer much to, to players apart from potential where the football club can go. We can't offer them European football. We can't just offer them a project of where we can go in the future. And that's all that is. And I think that's probably what we're struggling with at the moment. Do you, do you have in your mind, or do the fans obviously change from fan to fan? Do you have in your mm -hmm. mind what would that there for? Because it has got to be baby steps, as you say. You can't mm -hmm. offer, 
you get trying to get the players in to qualify for any European competition, then yeah. you get some more players in. Yeah, that's how it, the cycle will go mm-hmm. basically because you can't just throw money at players uh, and you know, especially players that are, are going to get very good money wherever they yeah. go. Do you have an idea in your head what would count as a success for Newcastle this season? Like you said, it depends which fan you ask. You've got Newcastle fans out there, which they're not demanding European football, but they're hopeful of it. For me, you've, it, it's baby steps. You've got to look at improving the, from the season before, and that's all that is. We'll have to remember we didn't win a game in 14 last year. It took us 14 games to win a game, which is absolutely unheard of. I think I think it was a Premier League record, to be fair, uh, by not winning a game in 14, then surviving in that same season, which we managed to do, thanks to obviously the, the, the change in ownership and the new arrivals and the new manager. Um, success this season for me would probably be a solid top 10 finish. And by that, what I mean is not being involved in a relegation fight at any point throughout the season, just hovering around that top 10 throughout the season. I think we would probably class that as a success because we're used to being in that scrap until the last handful of games towards the back end of the season. But for me, I want a cup run. Yeah, I, I want a cup course. run. I want it to, to make a... <laughs> It doesn't, doesn't want a cup, I know. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a final, to be honest with you. No. Just get us to, to experience a day out at Wembley. Um, that, that's all that I want at this moment in time. And we've came close before, um, on a previous, um, and in previous seasons with different managers. But mm. I think the likes of Eddie Howe and the owners will probably be looking at those cups and will probably will be just like fielding a strong side because the squad sides improved quite a bit in the last 12 months. So I think they'll be looking at a, a very good cup run. And that can be either one of the cups. Eddie Howe, has he surprised you at how he's done? So, believe it or not, Eddie Howe was one of the managers which I was hoping for. Yeah. And that was before the, the takeover. Because <laughs> you look at the likes of Eddie Howe and, and you could argue he's had a successful career in relation to what he'd done at Bournemouth and keeping Bournemouth as a Premier League club for as long as they were. Um, but he hasn't really set the world on fire. And that's no fault of his own because of the teams that he has been managers and the, the budgets available to him. He's highly regarded across the football world. Um, when he left Bournemouth, apparently he went across the likes of, of different football clubs. He went to Atletico Madrid. I think he spent a lot of time in, in uh, at a, a rugby team as well, just looking at the likes of the coaching side and, and, and fundamentals with things like that. And he said, hey, really, it is downfalls on manager so he wanted to improve on them so he took himself away from from the likes of managing and coaching and went to study everybody else to see what they did hence the link with Kieran Trivia with Atletico as well um, so I wasn't necessarily surprised but I'm surprised at how well he's actually done and and but I think that's down to, to getting the most out of players as well it wasn't just the new arrivals which came in January that turned turn this football club around it was the improvements of the players which were already there. Yeah. So you had Fabian Shea, completely different. He's always been a decent player, but he looks completely different now. John Joe Shelby, a player which a lot of Newcastle fans probably were hoping that he was going to move on uh, at the end of the season. He's came back this season. He hasn't played a game yet because he, he was injured. But last season, um, he was one of our better players. And he's came back this season. And the photos which we've seen of him, he's unbelievably in shape. He looks leaner than he's ever looked, and he looks like he's taking this seriously now um, because he wants to be a part of this project. Yeah, but you can't go without mentioning Joel in on 
well, £40 million striker who's turned into an absolute powerhouse in midfield out of PR accident because Kieran Clark got sent off against Norwich. Mm-hmm. Well, had to drop him into midfield and he's came an absolute powerhouse. So I wasn't necessarily shocked by the, the appointment and the rival of Eddie Howe, but the turnaround in the likes of those players and the results which we got at the end of last season and even going into to this season, the first two games, he's done a fantastic job. Yeah. And, of course, often owners come in and they want to put their own man in, but yeah, they've got you've got that, haven't you? So, uh, he's, it took he's a while. Pretty, he's pretty yeah. secure. It took yeah. a while. Steve, Steve Bruce hang, was hanging around for a little while and we mm. were linked with different managers, but Eddie Howe impressed in the, in the interview. Yeah. Um, so he got the job at the end of the day, and rightly so. Yeah, it feels like a sensible, yeah, a sensible appointment that you know for mm-hmm. owners that want to build yeah, club up. So yeah, and it's mm-hmm. got it, and so it has proved so far. But the, the elephant in the room is, of course, your owners. Yeah. A, now I'm not. I'm not obviously going to ask you some very difficult questions. <laughs> uh, what's it been like as a fan and the media coverage and? The fan, how have you felt as a fan f- being made to f- feel responsible for your owners and how have you dealt with it as a fan base? Mm. Because obviously I'm asking this from a, having been through the same, a very, very similar process though. Yeah. With City, uh, the social media age wasn't really a big thing when they take mm. over. Only when we became successful did, did our owners sort of become a much bigger deal. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. What's it been like last year? Have you felt like you're firefighting though? For like ten months, yeah. Now. I think I think we'll always will be. I don't think we'll ever escape that. To be honest, whether it's five months down the line, five year or, or ten year, it's always going to be the same. Um, and it's not necessarily people and and fans defending the ownership, not at all, because it's a case where, like everybody else, we've got to ed- educate ourselves in regards to to the ownership, the Saudi Arabian state, and and PIF, the public investment fund. Of course, we do, um, but. Like you see, since the takeover went through, just like yourself being a, a popular podcast, you get asked to do the likes of media appearances, radio interviews, and things like that. And the first question, which was getting asked towards Newcastle fans, was was how do you feel about the the Saudi regime uh, and the the human rights issues over in the country? As a fan, that that is not for us to sit there and answer. Mm. We we wanted to see change at this football club, and we got that. And like I said, yes, we've got to educate ourselves in relation to the background of Saudi Arabia. Of course we do. But it just seems strange that this opinion was never thrown our way when it was under Mike Ashley, who, yes, is a completely different breed of animal. Of course it is. But Mike Ashley was a horrendous business owner in regards to, to how staff were trend and things like that. And and what he did to this football club in relation to, to Megan St. James's Park, a billboard for a tacky sports shop, and we were told that we should be thankful for that. We should be thankful for Mike Ashley um, keeping the club afloat and things like that. And it just seems like it's switched now that now we should be criticising the owners when previously the likes of, of the media outlets didn't want us to do that. So I think a lot of it is the likes of journalists trying to make a name for themselves. I fully agree with that. I'll never change my opinion on that. Um, they want to be annoyed by things. I'm very um, hypocritical because it's never an issue when it comes to the likes of boxing, Anthony Joshua fighting in the likes of Saudi Arabia, um, wrestling events being in Saudi Arabia and things like that. But because it's Newcastle United, it, it's going to come our way. And I think most of the fans of a Premier League team, if Saudi Arabia and PIF had a came 
hunting for their football club and wanting to buy their football club, there would not have been a single issue. I think a lot of it's down to jealousy with other I think football all, fans. All willing to turn a blind eye to exactly. you know, for some money and some success. And that is the way it is in a way. Uh, I yeah. don't care less about my owner. It's as simple as that. Don't care less about him. I'm not kissing his ass. Mm-hmm. Uh, singular owner, by the way, even though we're sp- supposedly state owned as well. Uh, yeah. But I will go support my football club and enjoy the riches that, you know, and it, it's a difficult one we could talk about for, uh, you know, another that we have, we have talked uh, before about this last year. Uh, it's, yeah, we haven't got the time. It's a very complicated. Oh, well, but for, as fans, football's a fickle as game, fans, you know, yeah, you could protest, you could go away, but as you say, most fans are just not going to do that. So they, well, they, I tried 12 years for Mike Ashley and it, it took a long time. And, and, and the only reason he went is because somebody else came by and offered a lot of money for this football club. So if we protest against this one, I should. That's actually doing things for our football club. Um, I don't think they'll go away anytime soon. Yeah. Let's talk some football then to finish. Sunday's match. Uh, big match, really. Uh, should be an interesting match. Are you going into it feeling confident? Uh, how do you think it's going to pan out? I guess my first question is, I've been discussing this, discussing this out on a previous po- uh, 9320 podcast about how Eddie Howe was set up. Uh, I was arguing... Mm-hmm. Being ultra defensive like Bournemouth last week is not a thing he would ever do. So since Eddie Howe's came in, I've never seen him approach a game defensively off the top of my mind. Um, it, it's always been praise which has been thrown Eddie Howe's way that we've always looked at going to win a game. Never looked at the old approach, what Newcastle would do when Man City came to town or when we've gone to the Eddie had it, sit behind the ball and just not concede. I haven't seen that from Eddie Howe's football team. Yeah. I haven't. Um, whether or not if I'm confident going in the game, I don't think you ever can be confident going in the game against Manchester City, especially when you're already beating teams 4-0 and your new signing barely touching the ball as well. So I'm never confident going in the game against Manchester City. If I'd have been on the other side of Manchester, I'm, I'm rubbing my hands together. <laughs> but with it being the blue side, definitely not. You, you do feel it'd be a different proposition to any, like say the two league matches last season now. Things have changed, haven't they? You might... The yeah. revolution might be in its very early stages, but it ain't going to be like last season, is it? Things have changed, but you mentioned that, but even towards the end of last season, Spurs gave us a hiding, an absolute hiding, just because mm-hmm. we weren't on the game. And, and you're a better team than Spurs. So I don't think anything's beyond reality when it comes to Manchester City. You you could turn up against teams like Arsenal and you could go and hammer them. It, it doesn't matter the caliber of player that, that, that's put in front of Manchester City's way. If you, you all are on their, their game and on top form, you could destroy any team that you wanted to. Hmm. So I don't think it's necessarily how Eddie Howe will set up. It's how well your players perform. Yeah. So who's, I mean, you've mentioned one already and I'll ask you to say his name again because I'll probably mangle it like I do with every every player's name. <laughs> uh, Newcastle's key players and there's one player that stands out, I guess, above all else. Yeah, so, so Bruno Gomeres. Um, oh, I was going to say it that way. So. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a few ways you can say it. <laughs> I'm getting me Latin tongue out there. But, um, he's a very, very good player, he yeah. is. Um, you look at the game against Forrest, so our opening game this season, he, he, you couldn't take your eyes off him. He's just, you look at him and, and you feel thankful as a Newcastle fan that he's actually at our football club. And, and even the likes of the media and the pundits looking at how have Newcastle managers, why have another top team not came in for this player? Because he's unbelievable. But we'll play at Brighton at the weekend and he just couldn't get a hold of the ball. He didn't have enough time. 
to 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 basically control play in the middle of the field. Um, so if you cancel Bruno out like Brighton did, then to be fair, Brighton were the much better team uh, the other weekend. There, were you surprised at that? Or would you say that was because Brighton are actually once more? Proved, I think you know, impressing a lot of people. Or were you a bit disappointed that Brighton, after, Brighton are a good after team the For- after the Forest game? You, it was a mm. bit of a come down onto the Brighton game. So I think a lot of fans got carried away with that initial yeah. performance against uh, Nottingham Forest. Nottingham Forest were absolutely shocking. I can't lie about that. They, they were one of the worst <laughs> yeah. sides I've ever seen. I've seen James's Park. I think they just brought a hell of a lot of players in. Didn't know what they didn't know what they were doing. Um, but Brighton, and Brighton are the type of team that'll just go under the radar. They're a very good team, but they never get the credit that they deserve. Green Potter's a fantastic manager as well. Um, but I don't think they went into that game looking to, to mark Bruno out of the game. I think. He's just had a poor game. Yeah, uh, he came out afterwards on social media and apologized. Just said it wasn't up to the standard, which I would expect for myself, which is understandable. He didn't have a great game, but it wasn't just him; it was everybody. I think as good as Brighton were, I think Newcastle had it off day as well. Um, but to be honest with you, Bruno was not just the one player which likes yeah. the team should be looking at. Now, like I mentioned earlier, you've got Julian on who's an absolute powerhouse in midfield. There now, he likes to get involved in. The, the aggro on the field as well. So if anything's kicking off, you know for fine well, Joel Linton's not going to be far away from that. <laughs> well, I'd be just roughing a few players up or just just being a nuisance. Um, but then you've got Alan St. Maximum, who once again, he just goes under the radar. And if he's on his game, he's a great player. Of course he is. If he's off his game... football team, yeah. Yeah, if, if he's off his game, you, the fan base will turn on him because... He's one of those those flair players, and yeah. when they're not delivering, he becomes a scapegoat, which is is unfortunate. But Keegan would have loved him, would he not? So. Oh, Keegan would have absolutely admired him. Keegan would have done what he did, which you know, and just said, "You just stay up there. Don't worry about coming back. You stay there and just do whatever you want." <laughs> it's very similar. Happened Ben Arthur. He really yeah. is. He's just a, an absolute maverick, and you just got to let him get on with what he does and appreciate that he's not going to be involved in the defensive side of things. But. You, you, we mentioned the defence earlier and most games you'd go into and I think is it not Newcastle and Man City are the only teams who haven't conceded so far this season I'm sure it is uh, probably yes I'm sure yeah, there's two teams here it's us two yeah because Arsenal have uh, even though they've won the games yeah so, so we haven't conceded yeah so it's the two teams who haven't uh, conceded a goal going head to head at the weekend and any other team I would be Saying, oh, I'm confident in our defence that we will concede, but you just can't see it against Manchester City because if you mark the likes of Holland out of the game, that's fine. That that's him gone. But then you've got De Bruyne. If you mark him out of the game, then you've got somebody else. Then you've yeah. got somebody else. So it, it's hard. You can't you can't go in a game against Manchester City and, and focus on one player. I think you just have to play the football which which your side should be doing, how and can, don't worry about Man City. How can you castle best get at City? Is it just just talk in a very basic manner. Be organised and, uh, and not concede early basically. in the game. I think is yeah. the key. Don't concede early in the game. The, the longer we can keep that as a nil-nil. I don't mean just defensively. Um, I, I think we need to, to make Manchester City ask some questions from us as well. And Pep's probably looking at our key players like we mentioned, Bruno, and thinking we, we need to stop him uh, because he's the one that that's controlling things in the centre of the park. And Callum Wilson as well. Uh, I don't think Callum Wilson gets enough credit as no, an English striker. He's a very, very good player and he can make something happen out of absolutely nothing. He's a bully in that six-yard box as well. So if we get set pieces, you know for fine well he's going to be close to the ball. 
Um, it's just whether or not we're going to get the ball. The, the thing which I'm looking at is, is, is Greer has started before he was this season? Or has he been another impact? Yeah, started one, but not the Okay. So I'm, I'm interested to see the likes of, of Grealish and Almiron because obviously Grealish's comments at the end of last season when he was, was it Bernardo Silva? He said something about when he compared him to Almiron for having a bad game. Oh yeah. He was drunk at the time. Jack he was drunk at the time, but we haven't, we, we haven't <laughs> but forgotten yeah, it won't be forgotten now. <laughs> Almiron's been absolutely fantastic since he said that as well. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, you might regret saying that. Uh, if you so put I, think Miggy, I think Miggy Albiron will go in with a point to prove. Oh yeah, exactly. That's sort of thing. That, yeah, it's the kind of thing. Uh, put it up on the the wall of the dressing, dressing room wall. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it works as well. So, mm. uh, have you put any oxygen masks in the away end yet? <laughs> oh, do, do you know what it is? I think the way the way section St James's Park. Um, a lot of people forget that. There's a bit of the home section up there as well. <laughs> yeah, indeed, yeah. <laughs> so th- there's a lot more of our fans that have got to walk up those stairs <laughs> compared to your fans. Um, it's, an, it's a nice little view, though, isn't it? You get to see the city centre and everything. Exactly. Well, I, I sit in the third tier in uh, at home matches and I can see the city centre as well. So I think it's not quite that, <laughs> not quite that high up, but yeah, it's, oh, not, it's, it's, it's not that it's bad, really, it? It's yeah. Nosebeat territory, yeah. <laughs> indeed, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I could, I could talk for absolutely ages, uh, but time has defeated us. I normally end uh, by asking, are you not, I'm not going to force you to, to give a score prediction for mm-hmm. the game on Sunday. No, I'll give you one. Um, I'll, I'll give you two. I'll give you a head and a heart, as I normally do. So, Hot, and I'm, I'm not going to push the boat out here, but I would take a draw. Of course, you would take a draw against Manchester City, so I'll go for a 1 1 draw. But, me head, I just I think Man City are just that, that a special team, a very, very special team that can tear anybody apart. So, I'm going to go with a 3 1 City win. Okay. Uh, well, I will say City haven't truly got going yet. Uh, no thanks, mate. <laughs> well, no, I mean, only two... Well, no, I, I say it to give... You know, Third time it, lucky. <laughs> it ain't going to be a 4 nil, 5 nil to City, I can assure you of that. Uh, we only had two shots on target against West Ham and Bournemouth, it was 90 degrees and Bournemouth were just... The, yeah, they didn't... It was a, a promoted side who were chasing mm. shadows. I yeah. don't think you learn... Basically... Don't take much from the results in a way because it's hard to say. This City have had quite a turnover of players as well, and it's hard to know where it goes. Mm. I've been very happy with the performances, but I don't think I think it's not the worst time to play City. So I think it'll be quite close, and I'm going for a two-one uh, win to City. Yeah. But we will see. And just final question: I assume we can expect as well Newcastle's home form will be crucial this season, and it's gonna. You expect it to be quite strong, don't you? Yeah, so so Eddie Howe's man has turned St. James's Park into a fortress again. It's been a long time since it has been. Um, you would have seen yourself the likes of what the fans are doing inside that ground as well. So the likes of the, the, the flag displays, which have been a huge part since the takeover. The flags actually disappeared um, under Mike Ashley. Sorry, yeah. yeah, and you just need to look at that Arsenal game, the last game of the season. Last year, every single seat had some sort of flag or mm. or banner on there and it was an absolute spectacle like breathtaking so the fans have been a huge part of what's happening um, with, with the turnaround of the football club as well thanks to, to the likes of the displays and the atmosphere we stick by with team um, I think last time Man City played I think did we 4-0 down and the flag started waving when we were 4-0 down <laughs> where, where, where fans were just 
obviously thankful for everything which had happened as well. So yeah. we used to do that against Arsenal, weren't they? You just waving the white flags. I think we were <laughs> when they came in and put on a display for us. Yeah, but yeah, I'm I'm, I'm optimistic that the season. Of course, I am even more yeah. so for the home games being a season ticket holder, being involved in this as well. It's it's a great time for Newcastle United, and I'm optimistic for the future. Just not Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> do you like a half full Sunday kickoff? Man? Well, you get a few hours in the pub beforehand, don't you? Yeah. Um, so half five on a Saturday is better, surely. So. It just means you can't stay out afterwards because you've got yeah. graft the next morning. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, I always prefer a three o'clock kickoff on a Saturday. Yeah, but indeed. we'll just have to do what Sky tell me. Uh, indeed, yeah, yeah. You're a draw now, so get used to it. Yeah, I know. You would not be playing <laughs> at three o'clock on a Saturday very often <laughs> in the future. So. I just kind of wait for the, the, the Wednesday, and, Tuesday, Wednesday games, mate. That's yeah, all I'm for now. Well, I was in Prime now. I think we've got Arsenal on a Thursday at quarter past eight or something. So there's no time that you can't play at anymore. So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Chris, yeah, time has to be. Thank you very much for coming on. That's no problem. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah. And as I say to everyone, uh, after the weekend, all the best uh, with the season. Uh, yeah. Hope it goes you well would. for you. Uh, right. We'll get back to the panel uh, and we will do a preview of Sunday's match. Okay. Welcome to part two. Oh, I guess it's part three. And thanks to Chris from Gallagher Shots for chatting about Newcastle and this weekend's match. So let's preview the match ourselves. Uh, Adam, I'm going to start with you. When the fixtures came out, looking at the first three fixtures, did this stand out for you as the toughest game of the first three or not? Um, yes, because I think psychology is 90% of football and the truth is Newcastle fans are just very positive at the moment. They're on the up, the club's on the up. Um, they're one of those clubs where they can draw a game, lose a game, and they're still, because of the financial backing they've now got on the journey they're on, there's still going to be a massive wave of positivity going into every single game, and that's mm. going to feed into the players. It's very much like City used to be, really, in the, the first couple of years, those early Mark Hughes years, where like there was so much excitement and build-ups to every game, you just couldn't wait for it to get started. So they're always going to be a threat in that sense. Um, I've seen... Some of the moments from the Brighton game that they previously played, and I thought Brighton had the better chances, yeah. maybe the better share of the game. So that's a positive for us. Um, and then obviously they, they battered Forest on the opening day, but I don't think you can maybe read into that too much from well, a yeah. tactical standpoint. Chris did say they were a shambles. Though. Yeah, exactly. Like it, it, it seemed that way anyway. Um, so yeah, I think yeah, I think in terms of psychology, it has to be one. It, it's a dangerous game, is what I'd say. It's one where we've got to be cautious. We've got to have our wits about us because um, you know we've gone to St James's Park in the past where we've looked formidable and we've we've come unstuck, and that's when they've been an objectively shit team. So like <laughs> they're now not. They've got some quality players in there. I think that Bruno Guimaraes is 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 probably for me the best player outside of the top six. Um, very, very, very good midfielder. Obviously, Wilson can stick the ball in the net. He's proficient in front of goal. And then they've got that Botman in now and Nick Pope between the sticks. So, you know, they've got quite a solid spine about them now uh, with some quality scattered around it. And then obviously the crowd behind them. Um, so I think it's one of them where we've got to look to take the sting out of the game first and foremost yeah. and sort of silence their crowd early on. Don't give them any chances. And much like we did in the West Ham game, I suppose, where obviously Antonio had that header early on, first three minutes, and then they didn't get a sniffer goal until about 60. I think we've just got to go and look to do a similar game plan. But yeah, it's a dangerous fixture uh, and probably the most dangerous out of the, the first three so far. 
Yeah, Newcastle, as, as discussed with Chris, Newcastle strengthening defence, but haven't signed anyone attacking just yet. But the City and uh, Newcastle, the only two teams yet to concede in the league, Chris. Uh, you get the idea. For the first two games, Dublin at home, yeah, not so good away at Brighton. So how do you see their threat? I'm just going to read the Bright- their, their starting eleven against Brighton. Pope, Byrne, Botman, Shire, but... Share, I've pronounced that completely wrong as per usual. Trippio, Willock, Grimmerace, Joe Linton, Wilson, Almiron, San Maximan. So you can see a couple of changes in defence. Uh, Pope, of course, in net, but they had a good keeper anyway, as Chris said. Not a hugely different side from last season just yet, and we won 9 0 on aggregate. But is it safe to say we're not, we're going to get a very tougher assignment against Newcastle this season and to expect the sort of games we saw last season including that, that late 5-0 is probably unrealistic I mean I, th- I think Newcastle will be a tougher assignment this season but by comparison to last season it's a low bar isn't it because they were pretty wretched when we played them last season all, all the performances in those particular fixtures were um, I it, I find it slightly challenging to, to, to predict how Howe will play this. I've never seen Howe as, as a really defensive manager. He's someone who likes his team to play. And, I, and I, I imagine he'll feel more confident this season than he did last season in allowing his players to be more expressive, particularly as if he's tightened up his defensive unit and the first two games of the season testified to that because they haven't conceded. Uh, although, yeah, as you say, against Brighton, they were, I thought they were fortunate. Um as Adam said, possession, psychology plays a huge role, but a big part of impact on the psychology of the opposition is by keeping possession of the ball. Because um, if you've ever played football and you've had very little possession of the ball, when you finally get it, your, your instinct is to panic and push forward as quickly as possible because you think that you're not going to get the ball for another 10 minutes. So you need to try and attack the goal. And actually, as Guardiola shows, the key thing to do is, is if you're being attacked, get the ball and take the sting out of the ball and keep possession. The, the way we overcame West Ham was this brutal amount of possession. Um, I've never, I've not seen anything like it, even from City for a while. The level of possession, that first half in particular, was absolutely brutal. It was so clinical. And I imagine that Guardiola will try and do the same thing and keep hold of the ball as a way of nullifying Newcastle's threat. The crowd will play a significant role. They are definitely, they're in a transition as a team, but they're on an upwardly mobile um, pathway, I think. But, and I think they will create opportunities. Um, I don't know how I, I would. I, I don't know how clinical they really are. I, th- I think they, they need far more opportunities really than, than than we would need. But I still imagine that we would we will dominate possession. Um, and at a certain point, as we keep hold of that possession, Newcastle will retreat and retreat further and further in, into their half. Um, uh, yeah. So, but I think I think you're right. I thought West Ham would be the most difficult fixture of the three. Mm. Uh, but obviously now it's looking like it could be Newcastle because of uh, they haven't conceded yet uh, in the first two games of the season. Adam, your thoughts on how how we'll play this one? We surely won't see the ultra defensive style of Bournemouth last week, partly because they are a better side, Newcastle, and they're not promoted side as well. But also they are, of course, at home, which brings with it an obligation in a way to take the game to City. Do you think there'll be a very different? to Bournemouth is set up more offensive and do you think that could play into City's hands because then we've seen a bit more of us with counter-attack and of course the sort of Kevin De Bruyne pass to Haaland 
could become more of a thing if Newcastle come out to play, so to speak. Yeah, well, that's that's exactly it. I think that's why City are just such a scary outfit now. It's almost gotten to the point with Pep, and I think it's been like this for the last few <clears throat> the last few years, really, where teams can play any any way that they want against us, or let's say teams outside of the top six can play any way they see fit, and we'll still have a very uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Just a very thorough way of beating them. And we saw that in the West Ham game where West Ham was sort of pegged back in their own half for the whole first 45 minutes. We still managed to squeeze a goal out of them. And then second half, they came out to play a bit more and we still punished them in brutal fashion. So it's one of them where you look at it from a tactical standpoint and you look at it from the way we performed in the West Ham game and you think almost that it doesn't matter how Newcastle turn up. If we play the way we did against West Ham, it doesn't matter how Newcastle approach the game because we still should have enough in the locker to come out with the win. Um, I'd, I'd just be wary of like... I think I think something that can happen in grounds like St. James's and I think maybe T- Anfield has it as well and it sounds very cliche, but we just need to... I think the main thing for us is to allow ourselves to not get sucked into the game and not allow like a moment to go in where like, you know, a player flies in with a tackle and gets the crowd going or like, you know, like I think what what was it the other day that um um, let me just remember there was a fit there was a game I think it was Klopp I think it was Klopp and it was naive oh no it wasn't I was watching the All or Nothing documentary so it was actually last season um, and it was when Arsenal went to to Anfield and then they were holding Liverpool nil nil to half time but then Arteta like kicked off with Klopp and then that sort of changed the course of the game because it got the crowd on the you know on the back of the Arsenal team. That kind of thing. I know it's unlikely for there to be a managerial scrap, but I just mean we need to like, sort of like... <laughs> How versus of, Pep. Yeah. <laughs> but like like Chris said, you know, in the West Ham game, we've just got to keep the ball, take the sting out of the game and don't give them any opportunities to sort of turn the tide, if you know what I mean. Because we've sometimes seen it with City where like they can slip up, you know, they can maybe gift a chance to the opponents and then you look at, you look, look at looking at like a rocky 10 or 15 minute spell. We've seen it in the past, uh, I think more particularly when we had Otamendi in the team, but it's one but, of them. You know, Adam, it's a really good point, but I can't, apart from the Bernabeu in, in the, in this Champions League semi-final second leg last season, I can't recall when, when that last happened, when, when City became susceptible to that. It used to happen at Anfield. And it's happened for two seasons, so yeah. I, I'm struggling to I'm struggling to recall now. I think psychologically, the team has grown in strength to be able to deflect any of that external kind of forces, really. And I did have a slight concern when we came out of the pandemic season, where there were, where there were no fans, where we really thrived as a t- as a team, how that would affect. But I'm not really seeing it anymore. Um, that that the that the players get distracted by a raucous um, atmosphere, which is why I'm reasonably confident about about the the fixture on Sunday. I, yeah, it's I, fair enough. Yeah, I honestly, if if you can't deal with any Premier League atmosphere, then I, I'd worry. Yeah, because let's be honest, they're not the most raucous in the world. Let's be honest, but let's not try and work out the end of that Real Madrid match again because I'm I'm still scratching my head about it. Yeah. Chris, the team, City's team, do you see it being the same? Do you think there'll be changes? Bernardo, Silva, John Stones are two names I will just throw into the hat, as yeah. I did last week. So. I think um, Guardiola historically rewards 
um, good play, good application with a continued run in the team, in certain positions anyway. Um, I think it's more to do with the uh, looking about the longevity of the season that I'd like I'd like Bernardo to start just just because I think there might be some rotation all season with him and Gundo. Um so I'd like to see him start particularly if it's a more open game as well. Um we were talking about center backs earlier in the podcast. If if all four of our center backs are fit, Stones is always going to be one of my first choices because I think he's just more multifaceted than I think other than all of them really. I mean you could say in terms of all-round defender, Stones is our best center half. Um but Diaz is obviously is always the first choice. So I would like to see Stones um, get, some, get some game time, particularly because of his distribution on the pitch. But I don't, I may, I may, you know, I think, I think Grealish needs a, a, a big game. I, I, I know he's still working out what his role really is, um, but also I'd, I'd like to see Foden start as well. But yeah, I, I think for those who haven't had much game time, if, if Guardiola, is thinking strategically about the next two or three weeks, then I would bring Bernardo in and bring Stones in as well, just to give them some game time because think, we are going to need them. Do you think Phil Foden's place is under threat after being pulled at half time last week? Um, just little things Pep to... said about him having to do more. So I doubt yeah, he was pulled I... for not squaring the ball or missing or no. you know, scoring a scrappy goal. It'll be the little things, won't it? Right. But it could it could also be that by half time Pep knew the game was over, mm. and so may, maybe just waited to rest for. I don't know. I don't. Well, know no, he did say something about him having to do a bit more after the match. So. Okay. Okay. And that he wanted uh, to reward Grealish for his previous performances, which of course some Blues will disagree with. But yeah, that's what he said. So. Yeah. I'm I'm not sure. I mean, I always like to see Foden start because I like to watch him play football. Yeah. Um, but it, it's 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 possible that he might start with Grealish instead. Okay. Comfort circle, Adam. Will Haaland see more of the ball in this game? Yeah, I think he has to. I think he'll. I think uh, when we look throughout the course of the season, I think he'll probably see more of the ball in the away games, just because you know when a team's at home, you sort of expect your home team to to have a go at least and Newcastle are in one of those positions now where they're definitely not going to go down so they're just on an adventure so why not have a go on the big boys I think I think he'll score this weekend um, yeah I, 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 yeah, I think it'll be similar to West Ham couple of goals a bit more space I think we'll see another goal where maybe he's given space in behind and he makes that run he's found and he puts it in the net Um yeah, and then even still, you know, if 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 that isn't the case, and it's similar to the Bournemouth game, he still he still should have had a goal in the Bournemouth game because Foden should have squared it to him. So he gets himself in those positions, irrespective of the other way the team sets up. Um, I feel anyway. So yeah, I think Bournemouth look. I think most games this season he's going to find the back of the net. Um, so yeah, we go again. I've I sound like him now. Yeah, <laughs> we go again. Yeah. I've asked Chris this already, so I'll ask you. Yeah, I asked him a lot earlier. Yeah. Other results so far, as for you as a fan, has, has it taken the pressure off the game a bit for some? Because uh, we will end. I still, I'm still looking. I don't know what Chelsea are going to do, but they, of course, brilliantly to you know the draw against Spurs was a perfect result for me. Yeah. So we set. Uh, I still look at Liverpool as our rivals for the league <laughs> title I don't think um, terrible against uh, Crystal Palace so we will end the weekend ahead of them I know it's too early anyway and we shouldn't feel under yeah. pressure in a tricky game but have other results changed how you feel about this game um, 
Well, it shouldn't affect the players. Let me just say that yeah. the players, like with you know, if you were if you're in a Pep team, all that Pep ever does is one game at a time. He only cares about his Newcastle. You win that Newcastle game. I think it's so drilled into the players now that it's second nature to them. They won't be looking at what's going on around them. As a fan, um, I feel a lot more confident than I did two weeks ago. Put it that way. I think the serious problems at Liverpool. Um, that maybe aren't being addressed or being brushed under the carpet. I think I don't know how you can lose someone like Sadio Mane, who's been so pivotal to your attack being cohesive, and the fact that he's a winger with over a hundred Premier League goals to his name. Him just departing the team, <clears throat> I think it's a massive, massive loss. And then you got the rest of the spine of their team aging as well, lack of depth in midfield. I'm not looking at this with blue tinted glasses as well. I feel like I'm looking at this objectively, where I think now throughout the course of the season, I, I don't think they're going to have the depth to mount a title challenge on us. I really don't. And I think I'll stick my neck out and I'll say I think they'll finish closer to the likes of Arsenal than us at the moment, the way I'm seeing things. Um, so, yeah, anyway, that's 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 besides the point. That's besides the point. I wish but, I shared um, that optimism. <laughs> uh, well, well, we'll see how the season progresses. But, yeah, I think from a fan perspective, I think, yeah, maybe it takes the pressure off a little bit. But... I know for a fact that it won't do with the players. They'll just they'll go into it with the exact same mindset. Liverpool could have been on six points. They could have been on two. Could have been on zero. Uh, City will approach the game with the same mindset because ultimately, you know, Pep says. I think Pep's alluded to it in the past. There can be a different challenger every season. You never know who's going to step up to the plate. And as it stands at the moment, Arsenal are that challenger. So we should look at that. We should look at the, the fact that there's another team on six points and uh, rise to that occasion rather than thinking about Liverpool, which I think we've been so conditioned to over the last four years. Well, Crystal Palace at home is on the horizon, so maybe this is a must-win oh, game after all. <laughs> so, uh, just before we wrap up then, Chris, how do you see the game panning out as a whole? City will surely see more of the ball, dominate possession. The threat from Newcastle, is it more all-round threat as a well-organised Eddie Howe team? Or do you see specific areas they could trouble City in? Um I think I think you're right. I think they are a better organised unit that we'll be facing than we did last season. I think there will be if Newcastle can can get the ball um, when they get the ball after after an extended period of City possession. I think they will try and counter attack as quickly as possible. So it will be down to the to how effectively and how quickly City can get the retrieve the ball and turn it over again. Um, and I think there will be an inevitable first. 15, 20 minutes where uh, Newcastle will try and will try and push on, put play a lot of pressure, maybe push a high press possibly, but eventually I'm confident that that will start to dissipate and they will become quite deflated. So my thought is that we we will it will not be a stroll like it was against Bournemouth. I don't think it will. I don't think it will be completely sort of masterclass in in, in dominant possession. I think it will be strong, but as it was against West Ham. But I, I'm predicting that we will still will manage the game out because they are an inferior side to us, despite how well improved they are and how well they've they've recruited. So I'm anticipating a two nil win for City that we won't concede. Okay. Well, yeah, I think it will be a battle. Uh, I, I guess full backs will be key again. So perhaps expect like Bournemouth, uh, Cancelo wide, Walker inverted. Uh, our progression from the centre backs, give us options, get the numbers in midfield. We will see. I'm going to go for a tight 2 1 win. Uh, Adam, your score prediction? Um, I'd 
probably lean towards Chris's prediction of a 2-0. I think it'll be a similar, uh, almost a carbon copy of the West Ham game if we go for the game plan, I think we will. Um, but then also, I can kind of see us conceding a goal just because there's something about that ground. I don't know. They always seem to do it. So, yeah, on the whole, I'll go 2-1. I'll go 2-1 City. Well, I don't think John Joe Shelby's fit yet. Uh, well, he won in from <laughs> 25 yards. So. <laughs> there is that, but I think Wilson's highly underrated as well. Absolutely, uh, Sam Maximan is capable of it, anything. But I think we can. I think he's playing. Cancelo's done him in the past, but I think they'll be in different positions on the pitch this time around for Cancelo to be targeting uh, Sam Maximan, who's kind of been, I think, a bit of a second striker at times uh, in the game so far. So yeah, they've got the players there, obviously, to do us some damage. But it's what we do with the ball, which will no doubt dominate it again. So should be a fascinating match. Uh, right, that's it. Time has truly defeated us. Uh, Adam, thank you very much for coming on the show again. Pleasure as always. Yeah, uh, Chris, thank you very much. Welcome back as well. Thank you very much. Pleasure. Yeah. I'll- need my kitchen doing so I'll speak to you off air afterwards Uh, that's a wrap we're off to do an exorcism at Anfield so take care stay safe and as always up the blues